ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard in the Paint with me, David Grubb. And alongside today, I get to welcome back a good friend of mine, a brother, um, a colleague, and just one of the dudes that, that helps me enjoy this business. Um, my man, Chris Connor, um, you know him from Boot Crew Media, you know him from hosting Pelican Spaces. He's, we and I, he and I were colleagues at the Bird Rights for a good while, and um, we still... You know, we've been we've been at this together in different ways now for going on about four or five years now. So um, this is my brother, man. It's my brother in the game. And uh, I appreciate him coming and sharing his word with us today. What's happening, bro? Man, Grub, it's always it's always a pleasure to be here, man. My you know, as you know, for those that uh, don't know our our history and relationship, this man is is my mentor. I will tell people that all the time. Uh, one of the one of my helping hands, my my inspirations in this business, no matter where, where I go and what I do, just the overall just good dude, man. So, um, yeah, I will never miss the opportunity to be here. It's always fun. My favorite and probably my favorite place to talk basketball, like, I, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like when, when I had Lito on and um, that was a great conversation. We had a blast. Um, and I, I'm and I say this without ego because I'm I. I I had not realized, and really this year, and I, I had this, I was having a conversation with with, with um, a New Orleans journalist. I'm not gonna say his name because I just don't want to put our conversation in the street. But yeah, um, but I was just like, this was the year that I noticed a lot of what I set in motion with Harden to Paint originally. That's birthed a lot of what started to come out this year, because I think what I did and I don't I, I don't say this lightly I don't say this to, to boost myself up but I said I, what I think I did is I set a pathway for people to say I can talk about basketball how I want to yes and I was the first one who was out there to, to do it in a non-traditional format um either with the radio show and, and have a place where people knew five days a week somebody on New Orleans radio was going to be talking about basketball and then when it did become the podcast you still you knew that there was going to be real discussion about the game and it was going to be unfiltered. It was going to be honest. It, was, it wasn't It was to shill anything. It wasn't to sell anything. It was just what I thought and people that I wanted to talk to. And I think that's empowered, especially a lot of, of us, Black folks in New Orleans and, and around the area, to say, I can do this too. And you see all of a sudden, you see, you know, I, was, I started putting out that vibe, the hip-hop vibe, the logos and all those yeah. things. And that stuff is carrying over. All everybody who comes up now has got their logo. They got their thing. That, and I, I, I applaud that because that's what it's about. It's about finding your identity and not trying to hide behind something else. And I think you saw this just growth out of the Pelicans fan base, out of the out of the podcasting realm, out of the journalism realm. There's all these other folks now who feel comfortable being themselves and embracing what they want to say um, when they talk about sports or basketball in general. And I just I. I I like that. I'm glad that that's happening. It's I don't I will never be the guy. You know, I, I take that, that position as OG. When people call me that, I take it seriously because I know what y'all are saying. But at the same time, I know that I'm there are people who push, you know, there's the Roe Browns who people got yes. me to this spot. So I'm glad that I get to be a conduit to help keep that going. I'm glad you mentioned that, man, because it's the it's the truth. And I don't think I really, um, you know, I've 
I give you your flowers every, you know, every chance I get. You know, a good majority of the time, you know, we don't we end up doing one of these things. But that's the truth, man. You know, you you um, you know, I think about and, you know, I talked to Lito after you guys' show and, you know, we definitely, you know, he told me at, even at the talk talk, you were giving him game. And that's important. You know, like we don't um, there's no there's no game plan. There's no script or rundown on how to perfectly do this. Right. You know, the only thing you know is that, um, you know, you want to have an opinion. You're going to mess up. You're going like it's you're going to have to lean on some people and you will have to take advantage of opportunities. And sometimes that may mean doing something you don't necessarily want to do. But can you be original and stay true to yourself? And that's one of the things that you not necessarily taught me and I would say others, but you gave you gave the blueprint. You gave the you gave the confidence. Yo, if he could, if he's showing to do this on top of the fact you put a lot of people on, you put a lot of people that look like me, that look like Lido in situations to really show what they could do. And even if it wasn't, and one of my favorite things is that even if it wasn't perfect, if it didn't, if it had some hiccups, if it had some issues, you ain't never be like, you know, you ain't you ain't shy away. You yo, come right back. Let's continue to do it. We ain't have to talk about it. This was all right. And then the growth happens from there in the process of your brand growing. So, um, I mean, that's big, man, because, you know, I look at a lot of people, it, it put me in a position to help put other people on. I don't get it. Like that's, that's the game, right? That's what it should be. Right. I'm gonna put this person on and then they have the opportunity to put the next person on. You continue passing that baton, but it just, it, it, it matters in a situation where we come from, a, uh, you know, we're in a business to where a lot of us don't know how to be original. We don't know how to be, you know, we think we have to fit in this certain mode versus just being who you are. I want to curse. I want to be, you know, I want to use slang. I want to have conversations that I have with people day to day. I know how to put the professional hat on and and, and, and when it's time to, you know, to kind of close in and when it's time not to. But all that matters. Hip hop, we are who we are. And you gave one of the first, especially in an ugly time of Pelicans basketball, where New Orleans sports was at in regards to where you were to where where you were channeling you gave it a voice um and you consistently did it whether it was good or bad being objective that's important man and it will it will when we're when we're five ten years ago talking about the next person that's coming up or um wherever this this landscape goes you don't you you might not want to call yourself the godfather but in regards to me and what and who i look at i hold you up there and i don't say that to um it's the truth to be honest man i just i love it i love Y'all, I love y'all, you know, whether it's talking to Rel, whether it's talking to Lito, whether it's talking to you, whether, you know, it's it, the Propels guys, whatever it is, is anytime that I've talked to them, you know how it is when, I, when we started. The, the, the main thing was like, just find your space where you feel comfortable. Don't be, don't try to create a space in somebody else's his backyard. Just do your thing. And you found that with, with Twitter and then you found that with those spaces and that you could control the conversation the way you wanted to inhabit it in a way that, that that brought people together in a way that they had not been engaged. And I would say the Pelican spaces is probably the most popular one, maybe in the league. If you're talking about real engagement per fan and people looking forward to those things and it's not a bitch session afterwards all the time, like you see some of these other teams. You know, it's like you created something that was a spark. And that's where a lot of this stuff came from. All of that stuff erupted. If you don't put together the spaces, yeah. there is no Pell's 12 account eventually down the road. Because a lot of those people never are in there and all of a sudden they're engaged. And they say, well, my voice counts too. You had so many people got 
platforms off of appearing on your spaces. And yeah. like you said, we didn't, we don't do it, you know, intentionally to create that, but you, you say, look, if you want to step up, it's always available. And that's always what you're looking for is people to step up because if you're good at this and you, you really want to do it, it's not competition. I don't view what you do as competition. I don't view it, what anybody other podcast, it, Jake is not my competition. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not in competition because we're not doing the same thing. Jake is providing what Jake provides. And that's what that's, and it's great, but I can't do what Jake does. Exactly. And Jake can't be me. And so we get along just fine knowing that we occupy two different spaces, but we are, our audiences can over overlap and that's fine. And I think that that's the thing is, I don't need to have everybody in my audience because I can overlap with you and whomever. It's just about sharing that content and, and being confident in it. And I think that Pelicans Media is, is in a much better space. I mean, you think about it, from two years ago, two, from two years ago. Now, the one thing that I would say is that we still need more access. And that's, that's the thing that the NBA has to work on is getting real, you know, is getting people who are, who need to speak with the team and speak with players. I miss that, that access, um, that relationship building, because you just don't get it the same. Um, but other than that, I think it's, it's, it's an exciting time. The, the one thing I do want to get, get your thought on is this. This whole thing, the, the way that this, the market has kind of changed now to where the vacuum that got that in COVID allowed players to, to step in and say, now they control their narrative. And we've seen this, in, yeah. which is a phrase that I hate, controlling mm. the narrative because it's a very political thing. And that's not the way that I want my shows to be is that I don't want mm. narratives. I want to get to the, to the heart of it. But I think it's made it more difficult because people will take a player's voice as authentic, which it is. But at the same time, players are not going to ask each other the same questions that people who have a deeper interest in are going to ask. So I think it becomes not only controlling, ch changing the narrative, it's narrowing that narrative to a certain level to where you get to protect yourself. And I think it's important to have people who can challenge the athlete in a real way, but that's not a combative way. That's not a negative way. But that only comes from people who don't have, share the same perspective. Athletes yeah. are going to look at it the same way. So I think it's, you know, I, I, that change has been a little bit of a problem for me. is not that there's so many more athletes getting involved. They should. They should tell their stories. But don't push the people who have really strong questions out. I agree. You know, and I think, I think some, like, I think Draymond, Draymond deserves his space, right? Uh, there are some that do it that you can see the, you can see the talent and um the charisma and just the want to there to where okay i like draymond and what you know and what he's doing um i like a lot of what jj reddick is doing post career um and how he's evolving and i think maybe like the best the best version of these because you know as long as it's not an overflow of these kind of scenarios that's that's why i'm with you as well as like okay there's there's some that are really good at it that i think you know, should be, you know, involved. But what it gets interesting for me is where some of these players who kind of dibbled and dabbled with it as their career was winding down, or Richard Jefferson is one of them, when they start to get further and further removed from playing and from their from their retirement, what changes there? And that's where I kind of find it interesting. Like Richard Jefferson today, I find him a little bit better and more objective 
and less, what did I say, like a less of a gatekeeper than he was when he was still in the locker room playing game to game. I think certain players, it fits. Um, they should use their talents. They should use their tools. But if you if if you're in a situation where it just becomes too many of them, I think that's where it's where it starts to get lost. I enjoy okay, I enjoy knuckleheads, right? I enjoy that perspective. I enjoy what what Jack and uh, Matt Barnes do. I enjoy that. I'm gonna. I'm enjoying what Draymond's doing. I'm enjoying what JJ is doing. It's probably a couple of other players, but I think. You know, as long I, I I don't know if I'm ready and I don't know where that emotion necessarily comes from because I am with you. But I, I don't know if I'm ready for uh, an overload of those kind of situations, because I do agree that the perspective of someone who maybe only played at a lower level or the perspective that of someone who's been in locker rooms mainly as a as a as a reporter or the respect, the perspective of someone who has watched and has never played a game, but is or the one that just watches film. I think all those voices matter. You have to find a way to give that. You don't want it to be in a situation to where it turns into, oh, well, finally we're at a point where, okay, we finally get to hear from the people that played and they can talk. No, those people that haven't played, even if they if, even if they stopped their college or they never played at all, there's some there's some individuals from those groups, from each of those groups that matter and can have a really good basketball discourse content podcast whatever you want to call it and they'll ask questions that a player won't for that's just that's the truth it like the, the biggest thing is there's never follow-up and that's what players are not that's not their natural inclination because they're having it they are really viewing it as a conversation they so, don't want to press mm-mm. you know and yeah, unless it's going to be in a way that's to the player's advantage and i understand that because you these are your guests and you, you're looking at it that way these are also your contemporaries there, y'all are in the same fraternity of NBA players. I get all that, but at the same time, that space of being able to because you see it like when you have the one um, with the football players, and it's uh, your boy Crowder and uh, yeah, Ryan Clark. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's see, missing they, something. They get into these conversations, and there's no one there to second to challenge the thought when it's something that's like. It'd be right there, Grub. It'd be right there. They bring up. They know how to bring up the right emotion. But how do you follow? I, like, it's literally there. And then you let it go and you go to something else like, damn, you had it. It could have went so much further. You, you have to be able to challenge those at some point and just say, yeah, like, like, what do you mean by that? Explain that in detail. Not as, It's not a got you. What it is, is I need to understand it. We need to talk about this a little further because everything, if your opinion is at a certain level, there are certain opinions that need to be boiled down. You need to tell me more of this. How did you get to that spot? Because some of the things that we say, anything that you need to explain the reasons for it. I don't like to have an opinion that I can't back up. And a lot of times, guys, you get into these situations and it becomes a storytelling hour. And that's cool because the stories are great. I want to hear the stories. They're in it. Like you said, they're entertaining. But at the same time, if you dip into the serious, if you start talking about the game and the problems in it or you talk about issues and no one is giving any bounce back, then it, 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 it's hard to have integrity with that. It's hard to, to, to keep that um, honest because now you just, you're, you're in a safe, it's too safe. Yeah. It's too safe. And part of this whole thing is putting your, even as an interviewer, yeah. putting yourself in uncomfortable positions and asking questions that maybe you're not going to get the answer to, but knowing that you have to ask them. Grub, what do you think the balance is for say like a player? Some of these players come from environments where they already have, issues trusted people 
Um, where do you think the and then there's there's the there's the narrative the narrative or the stereotype that a lot of people in our in in our film field or what we're trying to do we're just looking to grab or gain versus truthfully just having a conversation and trying to understand. Uh, you know, I think that there's a there's a um, a long stereotype of right. You got clickbait and you got you know you're just looking for that. You know, you you you're looking for something to add to which for your own personal gain versus we just talking, mm-hmm. right? How much of that do you think has to do with more people that these players can can relate to being involved in, in these positions? Um, how does that change? Because to me, a lot of it is a, is about trust, right? Players don't want to press and push because, you know, they maybe they come from, you know, they can remember a time where someone pressed them or pushed them in, in a way in which they didn't feel comfortable with. And they were like, you know what, I, I, I all of you guys are like that. Right. I'm not going to open it. I'm not going to open up to any of you. Um, but where's the where's the balance there? Because I think it's just it, it's a disconnect in a lot of different ways from just some players. Or I can't say majority because I can't speak for them, but I would say some players just feeling as if they're just. They are writers, people that are on podcasts just want something out of them, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that may put their brand in jeopardy. Right. Where, you know, how do you in your position, how do you balance that while trying to answer these questions while also making, while, while also putting it together a space where someone is like, Hey man, I ain't your enemy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's what has hurt the NBA over the last couple of years by not, and I understand what COVID did um, and forced some of these things, but now that the restrictions aren't the same, I think that we need to start finding more ways, especially in the, the, the on game days, of getting that access back because that's where the relationships are built. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason that we identify Stephen A. Smith and Allen Iverson. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a reason we identify Brian Windhorst with LeBron James. Mm-hmm. It's because you, there was a level, there was an opportunity to build a connection between a journalist and a reporter, Sam Smith and the Chicago Bulls. You know, it's just there are people and, and writers that you can associate with teams and players because you built that relationship. You got that time in. And the players, you know, I think there's an absolute difference between, like, if you go buy a book, there's a biography and there's a memoir. Those are two very different things. You know what I mean? And there's the autobiography as well. So I wrote it myself, someone else researched it, or I'm just telling you a story about my life. That's the same in journalism. We're all doing the same thing there. Is are we telling something, a story, which is what I would put a column as? Are you telling, you know, are you giving the basics, which is probably, you know, your game recaps? Or are you giving a, an account of what you saw? And that, that's more of those filler pieces that we do um, on a day-to-day basis, the observational things and, you know, speculative things. Those yeah. where you, you know, you need to gather your information and do your research. So you have those, but those spaces now are much more leaning to creating instant content rather than building a relationship over long term and creating that understanding. Because I want people, if I'm, yeah, if, if I'm a player, I want people to understand what it is to be me. And it has been my goal to always humanize the player. Yeah. To, to not make them simply the, the product that you see on the court. So um, and I do think it does matter who's in the locker rooms, because I know that that players, you know, are in a position where they don't feel like they can trust, you know, the media in a certain regard. So that takes time. It takes time to get in there. Um, and, and and I think that 
you know, to use an example to, to, to get the opportunity to talk with, with Trey Murphy's dad this year. And I understand, you know, you're like, you, you, as a father, you don't want to have a whole bunch of conversations with people and have them potentially misuse your words that you talk about your son or have somebody say something. And, you, and all of a sudden, Trey Murphy's dad said this about Willie Green. And then it becomes a thing. You don't want you don't ever want to right. put yourself in that position. So my thing always is my position with players and with coaches or whomever I'm talking to has always been I'm going to ask you questions. But I'm not going to insult you. I'm not going to insult your intelligence. I'm not going to insult my audience. And if you don't answer it, that's that's fine. But I'm going to ask. And 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 I think that if you're that way, if you are just honest with them, they can't. They're not going to disrespect you otherwise. But you better know your shit, and you better be able to talk to them correctly. But at the same time, you know we can be friendly. I can be friendly with a player and also tell them at the same time I will critique you honestly, but I will never make it personal. And that's the whole thing is if, if a player feels like you're being personal, I think that's generally where we get in trouble. But I'm never personal. It's always about what happened on the court. I don't judge people's motives. I don't judge. I can't tell you what's going on inside a man's heart. You know what I mean? So all I can say is what I see on the court and and and, and base my evidence off of that. So I think if you, if you try to be as objective as you can be to formulate a subjective opinion, then I think you, you have a better chance in that. But we have to do a better job of reestablishing those connections with players because they need us. They are not – I mean, quite frankly, you need an expert, you know, in anything. You need an expert, somebody to help facilitate these things. That's why a lot of these players have a partner who is a general, general – a real communicator to help them with their podcast, to help facilitate those things, to, to, to give them that background. And so I think if we, if we can get to that where there's more of it – and we're not just telling the stories. We're getting into the real issues of what these players want to talk about. I think that'll serve them better in the long run. I think it'll help what they do because what they do on their own, CJ talking about wine, that's awesome. That humanizes you. Jason Hart, uh, I mean, Josh Hart talking about video games and things like that. Yeah. That's awesome. That humanizes you. But at the same time, sometimes you got there. I don't, I don't need to know his political questions, but I want him to answer some hard basketball questions from time to time. And give me some opinions about those things. And I think that that's a fair place to be in. And we just don't really have a space for that right now. Where are the serious questions happening on TV or in the radio or on radio about the game? Where are they at? Where are those conversations happening? Because it's not happening on ESPN. It's not happening on TNT. It's not happening on the NBA network. So where are those conversations happening? It's happening on podcasts. And we don't have as much access as we used to have to get athletes to speak to them directly. Teams don't want you to talk to their people directly. So you really got to fight and find ways to get around that to have those conversations. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, um, but I think, what did I read not too long ago? What It might have been the NFL that starting this year, they're going to um, um, allow locker room access again. So hopefully, you know, that that opens up if if we're under under, you know, some sort of controlled, safe, um, you know, environment again, if that if that allows it, it would it would be great. I come from a different a different perspective. So I, I, I didn't even you know, you don't you don't see and number one, you forget I mean how much time this kind of you know went by, right? You know, you so but on the other side of it, you don't remember I, I, I don't remember or see or notice how important it is to get in touch and get involved with these people, right? You know, I, I thought a lot of the networking 
and which it still still exists could be done okay through agents social media is connecting that way you know you, you know a guy that knows a guy but if the source is literally right there after the game or before a game or in practice or whatever and you could just chop it up or have a have a discussion i mean what's what's better than that that's when guys are relaxed when they're in their element yeah you know what i mean when they're on the court and they're just relaxed and you're talking about strategy. You're talking about you could talk to coaches and say, well, you know, hey, you start thinking about things months in advance. And you start you're setting up conversations like this is stuff to, that builds like people forget that's any relationship is something that you you are building. And so on day one that I talk to you, I'm not trying to get that whatever I ultimately would like to have. I'm not trying to have that because that's that's a, that's not a fair ask. You don't know me. So let's build that up. Let me have the let me have regular conversations with you first. You know, I mean, like there's there are always guys in the locker room that you start finding out they're veterans that are easier to talk to. There are young players who, who are more open. They're they're guys who like to be approached certain ways. And you just have that only comes from being around people. These are relationships too. It can't the sports business is not about cold calling people. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if it, yeah. if it were, I can get that from the media people. If, I, if all I needed was the cold call and get some information, I can get that. But what I'm looking for is insight. And insight doesn't come from me just asking you a question that I already have written down and you giving me your pat answer. You know, hey, we got to go out there. We got to do this. Thing. Right. I know, that. <laughs> I know that. I need to know more. Um, and, and not just for me. I think it's, it's again, it's about making the fans better. The fans need to understand more. They want to understand more. What is it? What is going on? with the team. I'm not asking you to divulge, you know, national secrets, but what I'm saying is just help us help us have that insight so that we can explain the game better, that we can understand it better and that uh, we can communicate for you better. You know, like if you don't want to be misunderstood, separating from us is not the way to to make that happen. It just leads to more of of a gap. You know, that that's, that's what makes, what makes all this interesting. And I think about the fact that, Unfortunately, there's there 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 are a lot of people that are in these positions that have these connections. They don't really deeply care about the game. They don't deeply care about you know the nuances and some of the things that we're going to talk about. Just the intricate parts of basketball. They don't love the game. You don't have to, and that's not to, you know, to say that you go out every every week at your local gym and play or whatever. Do you do you simply love the game? You know you you, you know do you notice you know when you know when someone makes the right cut? You know when someone sees the sees the play happening on the weak side before it happens are you like damn forget the forget the highlights you know forget the for, forget what's on sports center forget the drama and the back and forth and the narratives and who likes who or whatever i ain't into that's not that's not what drives me it's fun to talk about sometimes and we can laugh at it but i'm here doing this because i enjoy the game i literally enjoy basketball it's it's art it's art and it's so many different elements that dive into and then you mean, and you can go from that to kind of, you know, to figuring out what, what best paints the best team, what player fits here. Why do you like said play? I mean, just I, I wish more people cared or understood just how beautiful of a game basketball is, or whatever sport they cover. Like, love the actual game. You'll enjoy the players more. You enjoy the court, the the coaches more. The general, like, you enjoy every single aspect of if you just love the game. That's what that part is what annoys me. And I think is what makes this what makes some of this problematic, because you got some people that want to build these relationships just to talk about nonsense. And you have some that just want to say, hey, man, when when this pick and roll breaks down, what are you seeing? 
You know, I just and we turn what you love about the game into a point of contention. You know, it's like, for example, the other day on Twitter, somebody you know posted name your top five white NBA ball players, and I put my list up there, and I put Nash, um, Jerry West, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Jokic. And it's my list. The question said your, your list. list. Yep. It didn't say who are the five greatest. It didn't say, it just said, if you were picking five, who are you picking? I picked my five. But there's folks who come up and then they say, well, you disrespected this player. You disrespect. It's first of all, there's only five spots. It's my pick. And I'm not besmirching anybody by saying these are who I like. I, at no point am I saying I dislike your guy. Uh, no point am I saying I hate everybody else who's not in my list. I'm just saying these are the five. And, and we have these arguments. To me, it just it seems like we are not allowing people to just love the game. This whole thing about, and we'll get into one of the questions that we got from Twitter, is kind of it goes into that, but the whole conversation about who was playing against firemen and sh- and back in the day and shit. <laughs> that's that's not the point. Right. Like we understand that the game has evolved. We get that. That doesn't mean you have to insult the people who played it at a different time. You mm-hmm. can be realistic about the changes without saying that these dudes were playing against this, this, and that. They're playing against who they had to play against. They had to play against, right. I can't, I can't help that. You know what I'm saying? I can't help that. All I can do is that. So why do we spend this time? Like, how is it an insult to Dirk Nowitzki for me to say that I prefer Kevin McHale? That's not an insult to Dirk Nowitzki. Because, I mean, if you if you asking me, if I got Bird and McHale, Bird can do everything that Dirk could do. And I would say, I would argue that he did it better. If he hadn't hurt his back, he probably would have done it better for longer. But that's my thought. And I think Kevin McHale is one of the greatest low post scorers who ever existed. And somebody going to have to prove to me otherwise. So so you were building I, a team. Yeah. So okay. if, I'm, if I'm, I don't need, to me, Dirk in that, when I'm processing that, Dirk is not giving me something that those two, like by himself, I'm getting what I'm getting from Bird. I'm getting what I want from Mikhail. Where does Dirk fit now? He don't fit for me. For me. However, you want to build your team. The ball's going to be, Larry's going to want the ball. And I'm fine. You know what I mean? And somebody's <laughs> no, like, well, no, you got to no take Luca over Jerry West. I'm not going to take, I, I can be fine with Jerry West. Why, <laughs> why is it, why, why is it? Like, I can be cool with Jerry West, you know, one of the five greatest two guards of all time. The fucking logo, man. And you telling me that I should take Luca over. Je- you can love Luca all you want. Build your five, damn it. Like, right. this is my five. I like Jerry West. I do. I can't. Oh. I'm allowed to like Jerry West. It's not an insult. This isn't a real game. I'm not. You know what I'm saying? It's. it's it, it, people get so insulted if you don't love the game the same way they do. And it's, it, that's not it, man. It's, no. it's the same thing as when people talk about what's real hip hop. I can't be a, a gatekeeper for that too. They got this shit that I don't like. This yes. shit that I think is whack. But there was shit that I thought was whack back in 89. When we talking golden era, there was whack shit in the golden era. There's always going to be whack stuff. It's just that I may not like this phase of it, but that don't mean I can't find something in it. And I think that that's from both sides, either where you get the cantankerous old folks who say the game is falling apart and you got the folks now who say the game wasn't shit back in the day. You're both wrong. You're both wrong. And that's the part that bothers me and frustrates me most most about basketball discourse on social media in particular. 
it's always going to be something for you to like, man. I, I mean, no matter no matter what era you you know you're in 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 any art, you know, or in sports or in music or whatever, whatever you fell in love with, there's going to be something or somebody that does it that reminds you of them. You may have to you may have to you know change uh, some of your some of your standards to change the way you're viewing it, but it's there. Do you want to you know in some cases do you want to dig for it, right? Um, and okay, like. Okay, I didn't, you know, if in your case, I didn't, you know, you didn't pick, you didn't pick Luca. I, I, I just wish more people ask questions, which is one reason, which is one reason I love doing the spaces show because I don't, I don't come from a from a situation where I'm trying to drill drill you with my opinion and tell you why I'm right and you're wrong. I want to know what people think, and some of the times that may mean all right. Well, I want to ask. So okay, if I think Luca Luca should be in the in the starting five, I want to know why Luca. Okay, well, hey man, love you. Love your five. Why did you pick Luca? And then let's talk about it. And then we can go back and forth on that versus you're wrong because you didn't put Luca or you're wrong because you didn't put Dirk. If it's about picking the best five and I put together a team that I felt that I felt is best, you know, do people not remember how good Kevin McHale was, how balanced he was offensive, de- offensively, defensively, the post moves, the passing, the team, the team plan, his teammates right there. I get to put, one of the best power forwards of all time gets to play with his teammate who some people still, depending on where you put LeBron at or so on and so forth, you might still call Larry Bird the greatest small forward of all time. I don't know. But it it, it just, I wish people were more into the questions asking versus I have to drive my opinion for. My thought is, it isn't, isn't an attack on you. My opinion is, is not an attack on you. It's literally just my opinion. And if you don't agree, let's have a conversation. Like, come at That's all I ask for people is come at me correctly. If you disagree with my opinion, that's fine. Like you said, that's the whole point we do this is to have engagement. But come at me with a level of respect as a person and just say, yeah, if you ask, if you want to know why, then ask me why. But don't come at me and say, how could you? Or don't say, why, why didn't you? No, that, that's not going to get me to answer you. I don't owe you that. You know what I'm saying? Like, come at me and just say, okay, I, hey, I, I would have taken such and such. Okay, cool. So, why, you know, and we can talk about why. But you're not going to make a case that's going to say, yeah, I should take Jerry West off my team. You, you can't make that case. You can say why you prefer Luca. But you can't come to me and make a valid case that I should kick Jerry West off my team if I took Jerry West. You just can't. You know what I'm saying? Like his last year in the league, my man retired because he was he felt he was letting them people down and he was still averaging 24 points a game. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we have to understand just because you it was a different era doesn't mean that these dudes couldn't ball. Like the greats, I firmly believe that if you are the, one of the greatest at what you've done, they're translated across eras. Yeah. The, the guys who get hurt are the bottom guys. Those guys don't translate. But if you are elite, that you could have played in any era. You know what I'm saying? Will Chamberlain, you could drop him down from the sky right now as an 18-year-old, and you take the same physical build that he had as an 18-year-old in the 1950s, and you're telling me that a seven foot one, 260-pound man with that kind of skill who ran – the 440 ran, did the high jump, the long jump, ran hurdles, uh, did all those things. It was considered by many people. That Arnold Schwarzenegger said Will Chamberlain was the strongest person he ever met. 
Arnold Schwarzenegger said that. Yeah. So you telling me that dude wouldn't translate? He would translate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bill Russell might not be a center today. He might be a power forward. But if you got that desire, that same type of competitiveness inside you, and you allow, you telling me you couldn't, if I gave those guys all the modern advantages of training, them having coaches and all this stuff, and what we know about nutrition and diet and all this stuff, that the dudes at the very top wouldn't be able to compete today? Are you insane? Are you insane? And you know what's crazy, girl? People were having these conversations even like 20 years ago about still about Ben about Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain wondering if they could play. And I remember I was talking to my friend one day. He was like, man, you know, um, and this is when Ben, this is when, and I and I was, I was, I was young, but I remember this is when Ben Wallace was at his was at his height, right? And I remember, you know, I'm saying, man, I'm sorry. I've seen, I watched. Uh, this is this is when NBA NBA TV would put would put together a bunch of you know, like they had a bunch of monologues of I love the '80s, I love the '90s. This is when like you had documentaries coming on NBA TV all the damn time every day. Like man, I've seen I've seen the Bill, the Bill Russell documentaries. Ben Wallace is the best defensive center I've ever. He's the best defense, the best defensive center ever. There's no way that Bill Russell could play going against these kind of guys doing what doing what Ben Wallace is is doing. And, and I remember thinking, like, man, I, we just where 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 have we gone? And we'll, and maybe this will always be the case of where so many people just live in the moment. And we're in a situation where we have as much um, access to anything we really want to research or look into, even if you don't want to watch an hour on something, an hour special, even if you want to go on YouTube and find a short clip, man, there's three minute videos on some of these players to where you could you could see their greatness and it's not it, it shines through who and what they're playing against. You can see the time that Will Chamberlain put into his game. You can see the athleticism. You can see him even in his earlier, in, in his late years, in the 70s, when he was past his prime, still be dominant, still find a way to adjust. He wasn't the same athlete, but he still had great fundamentals. He still had, and this is all another guy. We talk about Shaq not being able to shoot free throws. Will couldn't either, right? You know, but. He adjusted over time. Russell couldn't kept either. himself in yeah, kept himself in amazing shape. Like Will, I, I watched a video the other day. Of Will, Will was like fifty nine years old, still in good shape, still in great shape. He was Immaculate doing professional shape. volleyball in his forties. You telling me? You telling me that guy who kept himself in that kind of shape, who was dominant across different areas as the game continued to progress, and some of these athletes started to started to join the NBA. You tell me that guy wouldn't have been able to adapt to whatever the game the game offered. Same with Shaquille. Doesn't mean that these guys are out here shooting threes and so like we 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 complicate the game. We fuck up the game too much when we think about shit like that. I don't have to change my game too much, but I can adjust it. I can adjust it. Michael Jordan wasn't a, wasn't a great three a great three point shooter. You don't think he would have worked to become at least to to become above average? Because it wasn't part, yeah, if, if it wasn't part of the game. If it was a Why shot that to? coaches don't didn't want you to take. Essentially, you talking about for his career, Larry Bird made less than one three a game. So you talking? I'd be mean, like, it wasn't a shot that you were supposed to take. 
So, yeah, the culture changes that and all these scoring numbers and things that you see now, you know, you can't tell me that it's 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 more impressive today to watch James Harden, James Harden put up 30 when you're going to get to the line as much as he's going to get to the line, when the three-point shot is going to give you that bonus when guys can hit six, seven threes in a game. Mm-hmm. Guys didn't take six, seven threes in a game. Right. You, you was going to sit down. Like, if they even when they brought in Steve Kerr, you know, just to shoot, he might get three shots for the night. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, right. it's just, it's, it's a, comp- you can't compare that and, and like, and not understand at the same time too, that Lou Alcindor slash Kareem Abdul-Jabbar held the Pac-10 scoring record for more than 20 something years without the benefit of the three point shot and only playing three years. You can't deny the fact that again, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has had the NBA scoring record since 1987 has held on to it since 1987. And you think about all the players who have come along since and played with him. And if you want to talk about him, when I always do this with Kareem, I said, look at who he played against, the number of Hall of Famers at his position that he played against. He started and Wilt was still in the league. Okay? Yeah. Wilt was still in the league when Kareem got there. So you got the Wilt, Bellamy, all these dudes like this, the, the West Uncells, you got everybody whoever you want to name, all through the 70s. Then he goes through the entire decade of the 80s with, with the 70s. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know, Robert Parrish, Patrick Ewing, all these dudes, Ralph Sampson, Akeem Olajuwon. He was there for all of them. When he leaves, the dude that's coming in is David Robinson. You know, Kareem retires in 80, after, the, after the 89 season. Now you got that. He saw all of it that's and crazy. was still – and people talk about LeBron at his age. Again, I tell people, still to this day, the oldest finals MVP is one Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who won it at the age of 36. 36 on a team with Magic Johnson, on a team with, with James Worthy, on a team with all 36 years old, a man took it and did it by himself. And, and, and again, when longevity like that was not something that you could, see, could, could even project. And they needed him to do it. They needed him to do it. After having was that the was that the series that was eighty seven after they got beaten eighty six by the Celtics and the Celtics killed them in eighty six and I think in yeah. five or six games and then they came mm-hmm. back the next year and Kareem murdered the Celtics yeah because I, I I'm trying to think I, I don't remember what I I believe it was that series where he had a bad game one he was down on himself and he was uh you know nobody nobody expected him to come to come out and play. And then, I mean, from there, pretty much then on, he dominated the rest of the series. Um, I remember Magic saying, captain's back, you know? Yep. I mean, how could you, like, I, this, see, this is this is why I love being on this platform. I'm only 30, I'm only 30 years old. So I have, you know, I mean, my basketball knowledge, it goes, you know, I have, I've, I've done my research. I love the history of the game, the details of certain, of certain eras I can't necessarily get to, but the man that's going to always bring it front forward it's David Grubb, man. This is why I'm here. I mean, I, you know, for me that I had to start, like, I don't have a great, pers- you're not going to give me a great perspective on dudes. Like I can't, I can't talk about Cliff Hagen. I can't talk about, you know, I, I know George Mikan from the drill, you know what I'm saying? I, but I understand historically where they belong. But once you get to the mid sixties, yeah, that's when I started having to pick up those things and understand, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand the evolution of the game. And I think that's part of when we talk about, do you love basketball? Um, whatever you love, if you love music, if you don't know the history of music, 
you can't understand what's going on. If you don't understand the history of art, you can't be a great artist. So to me, if you don't understand and appreciate the history of basketball, you can't really say you love the game. If you go around insulting the older players constantly, then that means you don't really love this game because there is no evolution without those guys. You can't remove Correct. them and get to the next step. There's you know, LeBron, you know, like Jordan begat, you know, Kobe begat, LeBron begat, whatever. Go, and that goes back to Irving. That goes back to Elgin Baylor. That goes back to Connie Hawkins. That goes back to yeah. all the way. So they all know, they all connect. They all connect one way or another. So to minimize any of them means that you, you know you you just take it out a step of the game, and it, you don't get to the next one without it. You yeah. don't. They, they those dudes had to be inspired. You know what I'm saying? There's no Michael Jackson without Jackie Wilson. There's no Jackie Wilson without Little Richard. You know what I'm saying? Like all these things have to happen. So it's like for us to act like at one point, this is the end of it. Well, no, it, it, it can be better. Even what we have now, the game that we're enjoying right now, it can be better. And there are certain things probably that from the older game that I would like to see come back a little bit to balance it out. To ba- I mean, I really would. I think that the game has turned too perimeter oriented. I just, that is my so Yesterday, last, uh, last night's game against Boston, Miami is speaking, is speaking to your point. You get a game where um, Boston, between Jalen Brown, who, you know, for the most part had a, had a really good game, but he turned the ball over seven times against a Miami team that does not allow you to, to, to play with the basketball. It doesn't allow you to dribble the ball three or four seconds without and – and they were already stout from a perimeter perspective. Their coverages are set. This is without, without Jimmy Butler. On the other – and then the player next to him, the superstar of the group, depending on where you, where you put Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that's six turnovers, three for 14. Can't escape P.J. Tucker. Um, but a lot of it with freedom, the freedom to be able to make a lot of these plays comes a lot of different responsibility. Where did Boston end up really playing well and breaking down Milwaukee? Well, they did it a lot when Jason Tatum and company used, dumped the ball down to Al Horford, and allow him to make plays and get and get himself involved. Um, you know, what, what was that game? Game seven. <laughs> Milwaukee decides we just Grant Williams, if you're going to beat us, beat us. All right, well, we're going to let and Boston decides we will allow you to shoot the three point shot 17 times or 18 times. However, however many it was, you know, just not overcomplicating things. That's where some of this era like you mentioned, can still can still use some help and use some work. We know who the we know that Jason Tatum and and uh, Jalen Brown are of incredible talents. You know, we know that they are one A, one B stars, superstars, whatever you want to call them. However, you're playing against arguably the best team left. The best team, even even with Golden State. Miami is just a really, really, really good team. They're, they're not broken by the absence of anyone, and they're not broken by the emergence of anyone. They play. They know who they are. They stay within themselves. They stay within their role, and no matter how many punches you throw. Duh, Boston was down 26 points, came all the way back. They got it down to 93-92. There's not many people in this world that thought at that point Boston wasn't going to win the game. Miami ends up winning by six. They would have won by nine if Nick Stoss is out of all people hits a three or five seconds left. But, like, you know, it's just while 
your point on one side about Boston, well, well, or your, your point about one side about how there are certain elements of the game that, you know, you could you could use a little bit of previous eras mixed in with today. You have an example of one of the better examples of what a little bit of mixture of, of it all, right, in Miami. Miami's not over-reliant on the three-point shot. Right. I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I, one of the things I try to show people all the time is like, okay, you can look at the top five teams in attempts and look at the bottom five teams in attempts. There are winners and losers in both groups. So for, for you, somebody to tell me, and this is the thing with the Pelicans. So let's get into the Pelicans now. We should yeah. transition to that. This thing with the Pelicans is that we constantly have this thing about shooting. The Pelicans need shooting. Pelicans need shooting. Pelicans don't need shooting. In my basketball players. They don't need shooting this season. Yeah, because the way I look at it is this. I look at this offseason and I say, you're going to have a full season of C.J. McCullough. Mm-hmm. That brings your three-point percentage up because we know he's a career right around 40% three-point shooter. He's going to be taking over 200 threes for you next year easily. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm, I mean, he's probably going to take 300 easily. Brandon Ingram, who is also, since joining the Pelicans, is upwards of 37% from three. Mm-hmm. He's not going to take a ton, but he's going to continue to knock him down, I would assume, at a similar rate. You're adding in Trey Murphy, who was the leading three-point shooter amongst rookies last year, and that was after a really bad start. And Trey still ended up leading all rookies in three-point attempts and has shown no hesitancy in his ability or willingness to take the three. So I'm not worried about that. I saw Herb Jones develop into a pretty decent catch-and-shoot three-point shooter and that will continue, I think, to get better. I don't think Herb, I don't know if Herb will ever become a sniper, but if Herb is at 35%, 35 to 36, 37%, that's cool with me. I got Jose Alvarado who comes off my bench. And if he's knocking down 35, 36% as a backup point guard, and he's doing his in those catch and shoot situations, which is most of his are going to come off of, I'm good with that. You're telling me if Zion Williamson plays 60 to 70 games next year, that that's going to create more open looks which is what, again, it's not about the volume of shots, it's the quality of the shots you take. So yeah. if Zion is giving you more quality three-point attempts, then your percentage should go up. If I'm playing Devontae Graham less, who had an awful year and whose three-point shooting has gone down each of the last three years, then my percentage should go up. If I'm playing the guys who – so my main guys, and I still have Jonas, who's going to come in and take a couple threes, and, it's, and if he's shooting 35 to 37%, so That's all I need because he only needs to make one a game. That's all I'm asking out of him. And even if Jackson Hayes, who, who you know, I have my feelings about Jackson, but Jackson has shown that he's willing and can make an open three. So tell me who on this team then is a problem shooter. Who on this team that's going to get a consistent amount of minutes next year is a problem as a shooter. It's not right. Najee's not going to be out there shooting five threes a game. That's not going to be his role. So who is the problem, and why do you think that there's a player that's going to get it? There? And there's also no spot in the rotation. That's that's my for somebody to get those minutes. Yeah, yeah. Who who's who's currently that you're drafting right now? Unless unless you trade up, unless you trade up and get and get one of the one of the premier talents, and even other other premier talents. Um, you know, the only one in my you know in my opinion that you're sure about that they would even trade up for that's gonna that, that's gonna be deserving and will probably play minutes right away. Is, is Jabari Smith to me? That's you have to me. get up that high, 
and you would have to get up and you would have to get up high to even have the discussion. So, yeah, I mean, how many minutes are left for and nine times out of ten, the person you're trying to add is 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 small forward or a shooting guard. You have a lot of unanswered scenarios of things to play out there to where that's not clear. Now, if, you know, Devontae Graham's not on the team or if Kyra Lewis is not on the team and then we're having this discussion, okay, maybe, maybe it's a little bit easier. But right now, as we stand, where where do you even see the minutes? And if it and <laughs> considering how things went with Trey Murphy last year, are you even confident on someone who is who you are, who you are depending on shooting? We love what Trey Murphy can do at shooting. He couldn't shoot to save his life to start the year. Now that wasn't a hundred percent the reason he didn't he didn't end up. You know his minutes were inconsistent. But if his minutes were inconsistent for a team that desperately needed him, um, at certain parts or felt like needed needed him to contribute. What makes you think on a better team? This is just my opinion on a better team, on a deeper team, on a team that that is that is more sure that, that, that still has other decisions to make on certain guys' future. You just have a guy you can slide in. And here's another question for you. And I'm still watching some of these prospects. I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge draft guy. I'm not a huge NBA college guy until after postseason when I watch some of the highlights. I watch the games here and there. But um from from what I've seen, from what from what most of the people, from what most people in that are slated to go in, in the top ten, the best shooter out of the bunch that I'm seeing is AJ Griffin out of out of Duke. Is that is that correct? I would say that yeah, but I don't. I I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. But my point either. is, is that. No, I wouldn't either. But my point is, is that I've seen I've seen people that say the Pelicans need shooting. But say they won't take AJ Griffin because he can't defend. Well, which what is it? I, I mean, so if 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 we're complicating this and we're trying to get the best, we're trying to get the best. Just pick the best damn basketball player. Don't don't put it down to well he needs to be able to shoot something. No, pick the best basketball player, whoever that, he is. That's the only. First of all, you got fourteen guaranteed spots already wrapped up. Fourteen, and and, and again. Add Larry Nance into that mix as somebody else who can shoot the corner three and has shown that he's going to shoot the jumper pretty – that he can shoot a jumper pretty decently. So your team is a much better shooting team than it was even when you started last year. By the end of the year, it was a much better shooting team. It still had its nights. But this team, the identity of this team that you saw this season is defense and flexibility, the yes. ability to cause havoc and create transition opportunities and get those easy buckets that way. So what do you want? Who's going to play? If you're going to draft a rookie this year, that's going to be of value to you. It has to be a basketball player who can come and contribute. That's why there are really only two players that I'm looking at. If, if for me, if the Pelicans were to trade up a couple spots, because I think this guy is getting hotter and hotter as it goes. Number one is my guy, Dyson Daniels who measures somewhere between 6'7 and 6'9 and is continuing to grow, has played you know, professionally already with the G League, has played international basketball, is a great passer, has a good-looking stroke, even though he didn't shoot a lot of threes, but was an elite defender and was considered by many people to be the best perimeter defender in the G League last year and has gotten comparisons to guys like Josh Giddy for his passing. He's gotten comparisons to being a more athletic type Ben Simmons, things like that. His intelligence is high, which is what you want for this team. Guys who could come in who, look, I don't have to explain a whole bunch to you. That's the reason that those rookies were so valuable last year is because none of them needed to have it broken down to them. They had been coached before. 
They walked in the door having been coached and understanding what it meant to be a pro from day one. So I really like Dyson um, Daniels in that part. The other guys I would trade back because I think it'd be too high to take him at eight is to get Mark Williams out of Duke who had seven, two. His rebound rate is ridiculous. And rebounding is one thing that translates is is a skill that translates from every level. His rebounding Mm -hmm. rate is ridiculous. He averaged almost three blocks a game for Duke and played roughly 20 something minutes a game. So you want, if you want a real intimidator, which is what this front court does not have still. Correct. Then to me, it's go back, get Williams and you get in a cheaper, you get him cheaper. If you drop back and get him, you might get something else and you might dump off one of these guys that you really don't want. But I think that that would be the advantage of going back and getting a guy like that because you're getting 7-2 with athleticism who's going to rebound, which is what your team needs. He's not going to need – play. You don't, I don't want a rookie who I got to do things for this year if you're the Pelicans. I don't need a rookie who I got to think about. So give me a guy that I can drop in today whose floor needed. is high, can do exact – fits a role that I need him to fit because I need size, I need shot blocking, I need intimidation. So if that fills that role, then to me, that's what you're looking for, because this is not a great big draft to me. There are, some, there are a lot of bigs in it, and people want to get all hype about them, but I see flaws in a lot of those guys. This is, to me, there's a, there are high ceiling guys, like you said, outside of Jabari Smith, as far as the front court, I don't, you know, I, 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 I'm not in love with what the Pelicans position is, because you don't need to add a star here. Right. That's not what you're looking for in this year's draft. You're looking for somebody who can come in and contribute immediately. Somebody who in a team that where, again, you still have a large number of young role players. You need consistency from that bench so that when you turn to that rookie and say, I know you ain't played in four days, bro, but I need you to go in there and grab me some boards. Then I'm not, I don't have to worry about his understanding of that. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing is if the Pelicans want, this is not the year to take the swing. On a on the in the draft, this is a year to get a player that can help you take the best player for you, and and go through it that way. Whatever position it is, take the best player for you. But to me, the best players that are available to them are there's a lot of guys who to me are similar in this draft. Guys who look look good, who have a lot of skills that look exciting, but the hole that they have is something that's not going to help them in the NBA in year one unless you give them the room to fail. And the Pelicans don't have that kind of luxury to give a rookie the room to fail this year. No, and, and, and I think, you know, we have to take, we have to take what, what we've seen, um, what we observed last year. All three rookies that, that played, um, Jose Alvarado, Herb, and, and I'll start with Jose and Herb Jones, they could defend at a, at, at, at a high level right away. And even if it wasn't, an elite level every night, the effort, the, the, uh, the instincts, the, the ability to take away the basketball, regardless when it came to playing defense, they did it at a really, really good level. It gave you minutes. It earned the minutes. Trey Murphy, when it was time for him to play and, you know, you talked to Kenny, I talked to him as well. One of the biggest things that ended up, that ended up changing for him. He was a much better defender by the time from, from the beginning of the year, to that guy that we saw at the end of the year, he had really improved defensively. And you can tell when it comes to Willie Green and the coaching staff, if you're a young guy, that's what they want. If you ask me in regards to their, to, to, to the reason a guy like Jackson, and I, 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 I won't include previous head coaching staff, but just, just with this, with this, 
this particular group, one of the reasons that they had issues with Jackson and one of the reasons that his minutes kind of fluctuated, so on and so forth. Sure, what he can do for you offensively, the basketball IQ, uh, him being ignored by good teams and it being kind of up and down there. Yes, that plays a role. But if Jackson was a really, really good defender consistently, they would have found a way to play him over and over. Like you wouldn't have seen those 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 eleven minute games because they they respect and want people that that are gonna get it out the mud, defend, get those things that don't show up on box scores, do the little thing. That's what they want. So if you're drafting a guy and you're thinking about someone, whether you think that 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 they're going to make an impact year one. But I think if you if you if you really believe that they're going to make an impact year one, I think they have to be able to defend. They have to. That translates right away. That's the only way they get minutes. They won't have a problem scoring. I don't see that. Four 20 point scores in your starting lineup next year. Yeah. Yeah. Four. Mm CJ is going to give you 20. B.I. is going to give you 20. Zion can give you 20, obviously. And Jonas can give you 20. Yeah. Four. Mm hmm. You know what I'm saying? And and the dude and her can certain has shown you on nights that he can score. So scoring is not it. Trey is not a problem scoring. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Nance is gonna give you offensive putbacks and all those things. This is a team that will score 100 points easily. That's not yeah. the problem. What they showed you is they have to be better. What you learn from the Sun series are two main things. They have to be better executing because they cannot out-execute people yet. Mm-hmm. That's the problem they have with teams like the Spurs. That's the problem they have with teams like the Suns is that those teams are going to out-execute them at this stage because they don't have the maturity and the experience yet. And that's on the way. It's coming. That you get that. The other part is interchangeable pieces. Yep. Interchangeable pieces. The guys who stayed on the floor outside of Jose were interchangeable pieces. You could play Herb at the two, three, four. You could play Trey yep. at the two, three, four. You and you mm-hmm. felt comfortable with those guys in those positions. The same with BI. I play BI at the two, the three, or the four, depending on where yep. I'm at. That's the, what you want to do with Zion. You want to play Zion at the point. You want to play him at the three. You want to play him at the four. You want to play him at the five. The only mm-hmm. guy who's static in that entire group is Jonas at the five, because even CJ can play on ball or off the ball. So. If versatility is what I'm asking for, then that's what I need out of this rookie. I can't, I'm not betting on one skill. I'm not doing that. I'm not betting on one skill out of a rookie for this season because the thing I also know is knowing the injury history of this team, I better have guys who can do multiple things. And number one of them has to be defending because we know when the Pelicans hold teams defensively, when they don't shoot 33% from, when they hold their opponents to under 33% from three, they're a winning team. When they hold yep. teams under 105 points, they're an elite team. It's the defense. The games yep. that they lost against the Suns were when the Suns was killing them on the inside and on the, in the paint and killing them in the mid-range because they weren't defending as well. The Suns didn't shoot lights out from three. Nope. The Suns didn't shoot, light out. The Suns didn't shoot lights out from three in the finals last year. Nope. The Bucks didn't shoot lights out from three to win the championship. They shot below 30% from three in the finals. Yeah. It was their defense. The Bucs were the best defensive team in the league, one of the best defensive teams in the league last year. The Golden State Warriors have been a top five defensive team when they were winning championships. The Heat are a top five defensive team. The Pelicans were a top 10 defensive team over the second half of the season. That's why they came back. It's, It's real simple. This is a defensive basketball team. Its identity is built on that. That was the first thing Willie Green said when he got hired. So to me, to go against that and draft players and say, well, now we need something like this. 
No, if it doesn't, if it's not with this group, especially the way that I think that they are they are built mentally, that these guys are not going to let somebody come in and mess up the, the, the vibe. Person has to be a worker, man. That's that's what that's what they're looking for. They're looking for workers, and that doesn't mean they're looking for average players. The best players are workers. The yes. best players are workers. Those are the dudes who show up all the time that were that are there. And I think the Pelicans have a culture now that Willie has put in, and it's about accountability and showing up and being a pro. So don't just give me the skills. Give me a guy that's gonna fit and he's gonna be able to play because I know I'm going to miss some games. I know B.I. is going to miss 10, 15 games next year. I know it. It's going to happen. This is the way of the NBA anyway, that we're resting stars. We know yeah. Zion's going to miss 15 to 20 games. We can just call that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take 10 for CJ because he's over 30 now. So let me just give him some. There's going to be some back-to-backs where I have CJ take a minute. So if I know that, then what I need is guys who can give me that depth, not a guy who has one really good skill. That's not what I'm looking for because you're not going to get that consistency of minutes that that skill is going to matter. Because if you got a rookie on this team and their shooting sinks or or sail or, or, or makes this team sail, then something went real wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> because where would a rookie be getting that many shots on this year's team unless there's a major injury? I mean, look at look at Duncan Robinson. It's a, it's a prime example of what happens in this league. Think about you shoot 37 percent from three. And it's not good enough anymore for you to get minutes. It's just not like your best attribute is your ability to shoot, but not just shoot at an elite level. You have to shoot at some of the at some of the clips of the best ever. Like, bro, if you ain't shooting 39, 40 percent. We don't really have a place for you because you can't do anything else. We appreciate your movement off the ball. Duncan, Duh. again, love of basketball. I could watch Duncan Robinson run around and look for his opening on shot and run around screens all day. It's some of the most beautiful shit you will ever watch. You can find it on YouTube. If you, For those that are listening, go watch. Look up Duncan Robinson off ball. It's some of the most beautiful because he, he, he put that, he made it, like for him, it's a science. And we've seen, you know, some of the greats, Rip, you know, uh, Reggie Miller, probably my favorite to watch off ball. Duncan there are stretches where he is spending 20 seconds of the shot clock running from the elbow to the, to the top of the, through top of the key, the corner baseline, looking for an open shot that he might even, he might not even get. It's beautiful. But my dog, you six, eight, six, nine, you can't rebound. You can't defend. You don't offer any one-on-one playmaking. You can't create your own shot. Even at 30, 37%, we can't play you. Need guys that can defend it. Or if they can't defend at a high level or an average level, can you offer me more than one thing when, when your main attribute, your main characteristic just isn't on? Because that's not just how the NBA works. That's how life works. And I think that's, back up. I think that's why you look at, at the, the, you know, yesterday Jason Kidd, you know, he said Dallas shot, they got killed by the three. They died by the three by taking shots that they shouldn't have taken. And I think that's that's a big thing for them is that you can't change your identity, but you also don't go hunting. You should never hunt shots. Right. Teams that start hunting shots or taking shots that are out of character. That's a quick way to lose. And that's that's the thing is that I think people think, well, it's open. Let me take it. That's not how (laughs) there's a reason. Like, remember, everybody has had a coach that said at some point, there's a reason you were open on that play. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason (laughs) that you ended up open. 
They didn't want they wanted you to take that shot. They, they, mm-hmm. they are giving you the shot they want you to take. And that's what good teams do is they force. And that's where the Pelicans. That has been the failure over the years. It's not been that the Pelicans have a stockpile of bad shooters. It's that the Pelicans had a stockpile of people who didn't know what a good shot was. Yeah. Who didn't know how to move without the basketball? Who didn't know how? Where, and even for Bi, the big change for Bi that we talked about, the big change for Bi was understanding where his spots were on the floor. I don't know. I, 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 I don't have to take this three. I don't have to take this three. It's here. I don't have to take it. I know where I eat at. I know where I'm supposed to be at. I know where I get my best. I'm not. They they would rather me take these shots. And he changed his location on his threes. Remember, yeah. he was always taking them. From the left side on the top. Yeah. He was that's that night. It felt like 80, 90% of his threes came from one spot. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we see him be out shoot threes in the corner. I ain't never seen B.I. shoot threes in the corner. All of a sudden, <laughs> he's doing catch and shoot in the corner. All of a sudden, he's he's you know, he's taking, he's not creating the shot. Somebody else is creating it and he's taking it. And those were things that we didn't see in the past. And I think that for me was the, the big part of his evolution, even though you can look at the numbers and they're not. From year one to year three, the numbers are not dramatically different, but the mm-hmm. guy is dramatically different. To you know, Brandon Ingram to me is in a much different place going forward next year. And I think, and I want to get your thoughts on this. The most interesting dynamic for me now is how did he and Zion figure out equilibrium? Because if you're Brandon Ingram, and over the last year you felt like you've earned the number one spot by being there by winning games, by facilitating things, by being also being the voice. We saw B.I. step up as a leader. You saw the rest of the guys. You see Larry Nance Jr. You see these guys coming out to his defense and being like, B.I.'s the baddest dude. You know, we, we stand behind him. We need to buck him up. I understand everybody wants to, wants to be part of the team. But this is a real thing, too, between grown men yeah. in a workplace. And if I've been in charge all while you've been gone, you know, this this was my house now. I've been running the house. And you come back, we got to figure out who the, who the man of the house is. Yeah. We have to figure this out. And to me, it has to be Brandon right now. Because Zion does not have the emotional maturity to be the leader of the franchise. And right. he doesn't have the games put in to have credibility in the locker room with those guys. He is still, for the vast majority of these guys, a mystery guy. They have never practiced with Zion. They ain't never played with Zion. You do not have enough guys on this team who know him to make him a leader. He cannot lead this season. If he's, you know, I mean, I don't know three, four years down the road, but this season, it still has to be B.I.'s team. And Zion has to find his place within that. And I think that's the biggest thing this offseason is how do they start figuring that out? Because you can't have it be another 10 to 15 games at the open of next season where you give away six or seven games trying to figure out the offense. Well, that's why I, you know, I, and that's a really good point, kind of adds to, and from my perspective, why I think CJ McCollum is important as kind of like a, you know, a communicator of that, um, you know, a pillar to, of even if he hasn't, He's been in situations where, you know, Dame has went out. Maybe Dame has struggled. CJ carried the load, and the team just looked as if they were they were playing better with you know with CJ in certain moments. Dame goes out from injury, and CJ is playing like playing all world. And then Dame comes back, and you go back into what you know. But the key here is that, um, I mean, you're right. Their first taste of postseason action came under. 
the leadership and Brandon Ingram being the number one guy, Brandon Ingram going into another another uh, tier, you know, of sorts, his stature in the league. And I, I think from Brandon's perspective, man, right now it just it's time to win. It's time to win, and it's going to – I saw some emotional maturity out of him. You know, it's hard to – you got to remember he's only 24 years old, right? Um, you definitely saw some emotional maturity out of him, and that may mean he's going to even have to take another leap going forward because Zion does have a presence and all, you know, in aura. He has just a certain type of um, energy that comes with him. But if you're Brandon, you got to flip it and think one way or another, okay, here's how he, he can help. I need him. One way or another, if I want to get to where I want to, at worst, just pass the first round, I need this guy. How I do that, how I build a relationship with him, it's going to be up to me. It's not going to be up to Zion. Mm-mm. Zion does. Zion probably doesn't even know how to do it. It's clear he doesn't know. From my perspective, he doesn't know how to do it. So it's going to be up on Brandon, who took a lot of people under his wing this year, even if he didn't make a big, you know, a big fuss about it. And we had to, we, we had to get it from coaches and Jose Alvarado and, you know, other players that ended up mentioning it and Larry Nance and, you know, uh, but it's probably on Brandon and maybe, and it's tough because Brandon could be like, that ain't my responsibility. When I got here, this was on him. I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of his work. He should be coming to me. Unfortunately, this team is going to go, especially how they start, how they connect. We saw, we loved what we, what we saw in, in this past year. And it was built upon a bunch of guys coming together and just really loving being around each other. And it putting together um, a bunch of different moments of this year where everybody had a moment. Almost everybody that stepped on the floor had at least one game or one moment that, that you can point back to and say, this was your game. Mm-hmm. Well, it's different welcoming in Zion than it is welcoming Larry Nance to the fold or even bringing in CJ McCullough. It's yep. just different. So unfortunately, I think that it's going to be on Zion. I mean, I'm sorry, on Brandon. Not saying Zion doesn't have responsibility in this fold because he definitely does. Every every human, every adult, every man has their own responsibility that they have to be held accountable for. But I think in regards to where this team goes and how they go forward, Brandon is going to have to be the one as a leader and find a way and extend that olive branch and find a way to put this thing together to where they both can shine, they both can eat, and no one feels challenged by the other. Um, yeah. And that's going to be more on him communicating with Zion and Zion communi- communicating with B.I. because B.I. going to get his. He knows he's getting to a point. He's, that, he, he's not going to get frustrated about where to get his because he's learned – you know, you talked about this year. He learned his spots. He went through hell with a lot of this roster. So it's only going to get easier for him. Zion can only help him. But I think a lot of it is going gonna, is gonna to be on how Brandon is able to connect with Zion um, and then how yeah. Zion responds. He's got to create that space. Like, yeah. that's, you're right. B.I. is going to have to make the space for Zion to step into so that yeah. Zion feels comfortable. Because Zion can't just walk in and say, this is my space. Right. I want to be right here. No, B.I. and Willie – and, and CJ in particular, those three are going to have to have a lot of conversations amongst themselves even before they start dealing with Zion. It's like, how do we make sure we, we make him feel part of this? 
and engaged, but also he needs to understand what the expectations are. All those things have to come together and you have to do it in a way that makes Zion. Cause we know, I think, you know, like you said, it, his level of maturity, I think there's still this growth in him that needs to take place. And part of it is understanding what it is to have a job. Like really, I mean, quite, I mean, seriously, because I think one of the things I was telling was when he did that video with Duke and he goes back, he's like, you know, I love, I love you guys. I got, I was lucky to get a job after my, freshman year okay dude let's, let's no let's not paint it like this you know what i'm saying you got the job now you got to come out here and do it and it's 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 this whole sense of that zion has had and people talk about where well, he doesn't want to talk to the media because the media is not being fair to him or he doesn't want to communicate with people because this there is no i have not seen this now the people who, who do talk we know fish guys like david fisher our friend has talked about trading zion and there are other people who do too but that's a basketball thought. I don't think it's a personal thought about Zion. Right. I think it's people saying, well, look, if we can't make, the, if he's not going to play or if he doesn't want to be here or whatever, whatever, then let's go ahead and make a basketball move. And I get that. But I don't think there's, there's still not a single person who calls themselves a Pelicans fan or a Pelicans observer or a reporter, or whatever, who doesn't want to see what that team looks like with Zion Williamson fully healthy. Everyone right. wants to see it at least for, uh, you know, one season to see what it looks like and whether or not that can succeed or fail. But that's on Zion at this point. At this point, it ha- it, he's got to figure out how he's going to come in, too. And he's going to have to be humble in his approach. Yeah. But also, he needs to be supremely confident. And that's a hard thing to balance. He's got to be confident hard to know that he can he can play as an all-star. But he's also got to fit in with CJ. And he's got to fit in with, with B.I. And he's got to fit in with Jonas because they're going to occupy some of the same spaces at times. So how do you two figure out where to stand with each other? So there's a lot to happen offensively for this team. And that's why, to me, worrying about shooting, no, give me smart players around these guys that make their jobs easier. Guys who understand for themselves what it is to move without the basketball. Guys who understand for themselves what they need to do within the team concept because I got too many important people in in the hierarchy of my team that I need to figure out. I can't be wasting time at the bottom end trying to to get you up to speed. Because, this, I mean, really, the season – Next year is up the, the top four in the West is up for grabs, which is crazy, which is which is crazy to even to even think about, to be honest. Grub, I want to I want to ask you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I'm running. I'm running out of time here. But yeah, I want to I want to I want to ask you something. I, I think. From your perspective, when it comes to Zion, I see somebody that um, just wants to. He just wants to be a part of something really good. I don't know if he craves the the attention or I have to be the man versus it's being drilled in him. That's just my perspective. I look at somebody and you would know better than me. Maybe I think you paid attention to that Duke team when he was in college more than I did. But when I but when I watched some of those games and I watched him. He was fine to me. He was fine if RJ Barrett was like was the guy. He didn't really get involved. It was a lot of reminded me a lot of watching um, the 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 closest thing I can compare it to from you know from what I've watched closely is when it's early Anthony Davis or even later Anthony Davis to where he was fine and it was like no like those guys are good like RJ's good. Um, Cam Reddish is good. Zion, you, him, this is, they, Talent you're wise. the guy here. You're the guy here. You're, you're supposed to be like, they need you in this moment to take, to take this game over. So on and so forth. And that was different. Right. 
So I wonder, like, do you get the sense of he's that kind of guy? Because because I think him, I don't think from his perspective, personalities and how that mix and all of that, I'm not, I can't speak on. But if we're just talking about him walking in and his ego not getting, not playing a big, a big role. I don't know if I if I see that because I really don't think he craves to be the reason why he wants to be a part. He wants to do his job. He wants he wants the uh, you know, he's you know, he's gonna he wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. He really, really wants to be liked and loved. That's something that really matters to him. So if that's the case. I mean, do you like do you see that kind of guy, that kind of individual that just wants to be a part of something versus not yeah, I don't think he can mine. ever be I don't think he can ever be the one I don't think he can ever be the one I think physically mm-hmm. he has all the gifts of the one but you know I don't you know people talk about you learn I, I don't I don't believe you can learn competitiveness you know I think I, I really don't because I think there are people who play basketball there are people who love to play basketball and there are people who love to compete and sometimes yep. you have people who, you can combine all three of those things but I think most most players are like most people at any job. You know what I mean? Like you you, you know when you go to work, there's people who are exceptional at their jobs, and they come in, they come in to kill it every day. No matter what's going on, they come in and they came to destroy and dominate. And there are other yep. people who came in. I'm putting in my eight. I'm doing my hours. I'm, I'm gonna do my job, but I ain't giving you no more, no less. Yeah. And then there's the folks that's clock riders who ain't just trying just not to get fired. You know, they yeah. show up and they just try to do enough not to get noticed and not get fired. And that's an NBA, that's on NBA teams, too. Yeah, those that. guys exist. And I think Zion is a guy who wants to, like you said, wants to be part of something bigger than himself. He wants to be part of, of, of a thing that feels good to him and is positive. But he's not the leader. He, right. he didn't want to be the leader at Duke. Like, okay. remember, it was conditional. He said he wouldn't do interviews without R.J. Barrett. That every time he was getting yeah. interviewed, he asked Art for RJ to be next to him. So when you do that, what it tells me is that it's not about it's not a bad thing. You are you're a good person. You're a good teammate. But it's like I remember when Marvin Williams came out from Carolina and that was the year Chris Paul got drafted. And people were talking about Marvin Williams, that they loved how much he subverted his ego to play on that Carolina team as a freshman. I didn't like that. Because I'm saying if, if you think you're the best player on the team, then you should act accordingly. You should play accordingly. You, you don't hear any stories about Michael Jordan as a freshman. James Worthy tells you that Michael Jordan as a freshman thought he was the best player on a team that had the national player of the year on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you had Sam Perkins. You had James Worthy. You had all these dudes. And Michael Jordan as a freshman is coming in and saying, I'm the best guy here. Kobe Bryant walked on the Lakers and said, I'm the best guy here. Yes, you all are here. I'm the best one. LeBron stepped on the court in Cleveland. I'm the best guy on this team. Steph Curry knew he was, you know what I'm saying? Dwayne Wade walked in the door and led his team, led the Miami Heat, to a playoff series win his first year because the ball, everybody was comfortable with the ball in his hands. You don't get that. You don't, you, nobody can make you into that. You either are that or you aren't. I think Zion could be an all-star performer, but I don't ever see him being a guy that you give an MVP to. I don't ever see him being a guy that you put in a, that you have as a first-team All-NBA player. I think he'll always be in that second or third group because he will put up numbers ridiculously. But I don't know. He reminds me a lot more of a Devin Booker type. You know what I'm saying? Like Devin Booker is incredibly skilled, incredibly skilled. But I don't know if I'm – do you really count on Devin Booker and say that's the dude I want – clutch time in the fourth 
he doesn't feel like the leader of the Suns. You know what I'm saying? No, he's no. a he's a very talented. And that's okay. Player, but he's not the leader. And that's he's okay. not the leader. And that's oh yeah, that's fine. But we need to be real about that. And that's the thing is our uh, what are our expectations of Zion and what are his of himself. And the realistic thing is right now your franchise player has to be Brandon Ingram. No, I, this has nothing to do with this with with, with the Pelicans. But this makes me laugh because I. I Anytime my, these conversations are had, and you mentioned like LeBron thought he was the best player when he walked into Cleveland, and it, it, there there's a video um, <laughs> of before he got drafted. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, Ricky <laughs> Davis and him, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, coming in, there is Miles, like, Miles. Hey, he could fit in, you know, he could do it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> like, you know, I just. <laughs> He could he could rock he could just jump on the bandwagon. I forgot what of I think it was Darius Miles that said that, man. That just that just yeah, anytime you know, I hear something like get in here and learn something. I ain't gonna about a rook. All right. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh man. No, it wasn't gonna work like that. The, those nah. guys don't we have you you never had to ask about Allen Iverson's competitiveness. You never had to ask for all the flaws that those guys have. The guys who are just competitors and basketball happens to be the venue through which they compete, you never had to tell those dudes to compete. And I think that's going to always be the question with Zion is that not that he doesn't want to win, not that he doesn't want to play hard, but I just I don't I don't see the fire. I don't see Zion being a dude that's willing to like chew his own foot off, you know what I'm saying, to get out the bear trap. I don't he's, I don't see it. That, and that's not again, that's not an insult, but I need, to, see be, that, I need to be honest about that. Did you see that Duke? No. No. Okay. And then when people talk about his defense at Duke, I thought that was incredibly overrated. I didn't see a great defender at Duke. Mm-hmm. Did you? Like you, just because you saw a highlight of a dude jumping up in the air and blocking a shot, that's not great defense. What that mm-hmm. is is great athleticism. And there's yeah. a big difference. Do you have the instincts? And in college, it's a lot easier to roam all over the place against dudes that have no chance of ever playing in the NBA and making some plays. But look, we're talking about a team. You just saw defense at Herb Jones. You just saw defense in Trey Murphy, who had games in the playoffs where he didn't score, but had the best plus minus on the team. So you saw what defensively guys can come in and do. You've not seen that from Zion. You've never seen that. And you can't blame that on injury. That had, that's not about injury. We've seen him look disinterested on defense. We've seen him not understand where he's supposed to be spatially on defense. Part of that, you need some time on the court. But part of that is that's not where his head has ever been. When would you have learned it? Playing against the four-footers in, that he played with against the Spartanburg? You know what I'm saying? You, those were children. He was playing against children. And in one year at Duke, you think Mike Krzyzewski was able to teach him to play NBA-level defense? No. No. So when did he learn? When was he going to learn it? And I don't see where he had. And I don't see also a natural desire to play defense. So if I take Zion and I understand what he is, one of the greatest offensive weapons in the league, and one of the most efficient, efficient offensive weapons in the league. And I understand that, and I can figure out how to use him defensively. But I ain't asking him to anchor nothing right now. Fair enough. No, I, no, I just, you know, I just was curious. I, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, he gets an opportunity to walk into um, a situation that not many guys of his, of his talent um, or his ability can say that they have. Um, I don't think the expectations are, you know, are are high for him. He has a chance to be the finishing piece of something. He has the chance to be, to be part of the reason that something is taken to the next level. And it may not be 
and I mean, good for him because I, who who really wants to be a franchise saver? Who wants to be looked upon as that? I don't think anybody wants. That's just way too much pressure, man. You know, I mean, to 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 say you know to to save an entire organization, a city attached to it, a region. Name. Really, I mean, outside of there are really only two players in our lifetime. Two, well, in, it's three. I would say three in our lifetime that actually literally saved a franchise. Because I would say Jordan saved the Chicago Bulls. That was an awful organization. He saved yes. Larry Bird. You know, the Celtics were the worst team in the NBA the year before he got there. They they won the Nate until David Robinson had come along. It was a single season, greatest single season turnaround. And I yeah. think Bird facilitated everything for that. Not that the Celtics were going to die, but look, you've seen it. So after he was gone, it took him 30 years to win another ring. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and then, it, it, yeah. So, I mean, and then the, the, to me, the other one would be LeBron. I mean, you know, you, you put LeBron in that category because the Cavs were, were irrelevant and he made them into a team that, that mattered again. But other than that, you know, Miami would, had had years of success before D Wade got there. Denver had had years of success before Melo got there. You know, every team, you know, even Orlando, Shaq didn't save something because there wasn't nothing to save. There was nothing there right. when he got there. So it ain't saving it when you, <laughs> you show up and there's nothing there. So, it, it, you know, I think in, in a sense, Orla- and Orlando was in a the honeymoon phase still. It was still early, so there was no, you know, danger. But, Did you say Isaiah? Mm, that's an interesting question because I was in Detroit. Um, what you say, Isaiah? Yeah, Pistons were bad. Because <laughs> I mean, because I mean, because because correct me before before Isaiah. I mean, you know, what is it's what is Dave Bean to I to Isaiah? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, Dick Vitale, them Dick Vitale years. <laughs> John Long was the best player on that team, and like, if anybody can remember John Long, who's not me, who's no, listening to this not. podcast. The only thing I can tell you, two, I can tell you two things about John Long. He played for the Pistons, and he was on the first team for the Raptors. He was one of the guys taken in the expansion. That's all I really know about John Long. But I know he was that. He, at one point, he was the best player on the Pistons before Isaiah Thomas got there, and that tells you how bad that team was. So yeah, Zeke, and plus Zeke again. Now I'm gonna say this. So this is about the bounce. Zeke, you are talking about again, little man influence. Still the last dude at that height to lead a team to be the best player. On two championship teams, don't don't disrespect Isaiah Thomas's name, man. You can't put. I'm sorry, you can't put as much as I love Steph. Steph never had to do the heavy lifting that Isaiah did. Man. It's different. It's different. The, the closest you got, the closest chances you had was Iverson and 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 um, I'd say I'd say Chris Paul, but 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 mainly before. Before the Clippers, I'd say if he was able to do something special with that with that Hornets team, it's I mean to me it's pretty much Iverson and you know and Chris Paul yeah. would, would be the closest that you got to even you know to seeing that happen. And Chris, I mean Chris only been to what two conference finals in his career. Yeah. So yeah. you know I mean you look at it that way, and Chris only only going to two, and I think AI made it to two. I think mm-hmm. two conference finals. Yeah. Zeke was living in the conference finals. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like they said, you know, Isaiah's the only dude to beat Bird, Magic, and Jordan, you know, in the same playoffs. It's it's that's sick. That's just crazy. So, you know, you talk about those kind of things, and that's just the respect for the game. Before I let you go, we're gonna do these real quick. All right. Um, quick Ooh. questions from the, from Twitter. Uh, will the Shaq and Ewing type centers or Malone power forwards ever exist again, or has the NBA moved on permanently? Yes, 
it's a it's life life's a cycle it, it always it always comes it always comes back again one just way. takes the right guy it just it just takes the right the right individual um the right the right mindset the hunger the um the health right that health is health is huge with guys of that you know of that nature but yes absolutely i, I don't i mean if a guy like Shaq if drops down on this earth again and he just so happens not to be able to shoot threes it, it, he's gonna he's gonna dominate he's gonna be Shaq I mean, Zion can't shoot threes, and he, nobody was telling him nothing. No, I, I mean, absolutely, it's it's gonna happen. It just takes the right guy with the right mindset, and I probably the right, you know, the right coaching. A lot of these yeah. guys, you know, they wanna they they believe they have to shoot threes. They wanna one of the things that makes Jokic so so wonderful is that you know he works if he you know his best his best setup is right at the free throw line nine times out of ten or one of those one of those lower you know one of them pitch posts, but mainly. If you put him at the top of the key or you put him um, at the free throw line, he's going to find a way to get his. He doesn't have to live at the three-point line. He stopped shooting as many threes, I think, in previous years. And same he's with Embiid. It's just balance. It's, it's just balance. I think, I think Embiid's a good – actually, probably a really good example of that. He just so happens to shoot threes. So Embiid, Embiid is probably a really good example of those, those kind of throwback centers that you're speaking about, um, whoever asked the question. Embiid's a really good example. And he's I mean, Jokic, as dominant I mean, as he gets. Even Jonas is really still a classic front court center. It's just that he's probably he's a little slow. You know, you would even in the eighties, Jonas would have been slow. You know what I'm saying? Like David Robinson. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Akeem Olajuwon wasn't slow. David Robinson wasn't slow. These were not so. I think Jonas would be slow at any. I mean, um, you know, Jonas would be slow anywhere, but he's still a he could still play. So, um, we I think we covered the keys about Bi. Um, who's better for this team, Drew or CJ? I think it's easy that it's CJ because Drew couldn't be a lead guard. That just was not in his in his makeup. And I don't I don't think people people need to need to uh, they gotta they gotta erase. Well, I don't say erase, but you can't look at that Phoenix series, you know, and how and how bad he played and say that's what he's going to be in that position. Is he a point guard necessarily? No. But if you're asking me who's the better, who in my opinion is the better lead guard, I mean. Number one, you're gonna have to give him more than just you know this 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 is his first time arguably outside of when Dame is out and when Portland. But with these guys, it's just it hasn't been long. He still doesn't know these guys. Give him give him some more time in this role and setup outside of him being used to playing in a, in a position of a guy his size that should not be playing at the two for a good majority of his career. I mean, he hasn't had the opportunity to 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 play a lead guard role or position you know, this consistently, or I think going forward, it's probably college, man, you know, so give him time. I, I, there's no disrespect to Drew, uh, but I think CJ has, has the better, has, has in a better array of tools um, and actively wants to do it as well. Drew didn't want to do it. He doesn't have, that's not who he is. He, he, he didn't is. even want to do it. You know I mean? He, he did it, but he, he, he said it countless number of times. I'm not a point guard. You know? and, he, and, and he didn't want to – like, you're not going to ask Drew every night to give you 25. CJ wants to give you 25 every night. Exactly. Drew, exactly. Drew, Drew don't feel like that. That's just not him. <laughs> Last one, because we run out. Um, what's the one basketball skill set you enjoy watching the most? Ooh, For shout me, it's shout out to Brian. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mine is always, it's always going to be post footwork. I love watching post footwork. It just – you know, uh, it's it's a it's an art, and whether it's for a center, whether it's for a guard, if you're watching a, you know, if you watch Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant post footwork, Kevin Durant post footwork, you know, those types of things. I love watching great low post footwork. Um, man, I, I, I 
I, I really enjoy court vision, whether it's offensively or defensively. I love one of the one of the things I really love about Herb Jones is like some of these things may look like it's just necessarily instinct, but there's a computer going on in his brain, man. Herb sees defensively, he sees reactions before they happen. Like he's not, he's knowing he's playing chess. It's not all right. I make this move, he goes here, he goes here. He knows based off of one one move that he makes, especially when he's off ball. Like if you ever watch her her recover on a scramble off of an offensive rebound, if the opposing team gets an offensive rebound, and, and typically that's you know that sets up a lot of open shots, right? Because guys are scrambling trying to get back to open. It's it's hard to communicate, but he's a guy that that just he knows his teammates and he knows what the op what the op, what the opposing team is doing. He's one of those dudes that nine times out of ten he'll get a steal off of that because he knows before you do that you're going to the corner and he'll either get a deflection or a steal. And then offensively, it's the same thing, man. Guys that can, they can see, um, even if my pass doesn't turn into an assist, I I'm getting the hockey assist, right? Mm-hmm. My pass to the corner is going to turn to the pass to the wing, which turns the pass to the, to the top of the key and getting all the way over to the corner to open up, you know, to open up the shot here. Guys that are able to view the game like that, step by step before it even happens man i love it i, I it's, it's, it's just it's i could watch i could watch people break down because you really have to you have to i think love the game study the game know tendencies and know yourself you know to be able to be able to do that pick and roll manipulation without the foul baiting is just it's beautiful it's, it's one of the it's one of the more beautiful things you can end up watching it's a game it's a game of chess it's a game of give and take right especially when you're the guy um handling the basketball and, it, and you know it's you know it's that way because it's a reason there's not many guys I would say that are elite at it. Not mm-hmm. easy, you know. Um, it takes anticipation. It takes um, you know it, you you have to have eyes you know behind your you know behind your head. You have to be able to see everything where everything's opening. Who's helping? What's in front of you? Can I get the shot off? Do I need to take it? Where's my role guy? Right? How did he screen? How am I shading off the guy? of the big man behind me that just got screened off. It's just, it's, am I throwing a bounce pass, right? You know, am I throwing a pocket or am I throwing a lob? You got to process this shit. Just the reaction of guys, like when they turn, you see, you you, you saw how when the Pelicans turn to run in fast break opportunities, guys understanding their lanes quickly. Like that is such an underrated skill. And, and, Herb runs his lanes, you know, that's, that's the one thing with Jax that gets him in trouble is running lanes. Is yeah. that he runs them too wide sometimes? He runs them too ch- down the middle too much. It's it, 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 knowing your spacing in transition is so key. But you know, there's so many, there's so many the nuanced things of the game are the, f- the fun things to watch because yeah, you could just watch for the baskets, and that's that's not really that fun. That gets, no. that gets boring. No, but Chris, no, man, yeah. two hours, dude. I love it. I love when we get to talk, man. It, it, I love where we go, and sometimes I don't know where we're gonna end up, but. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure, my brother. As always, man. Li- li- listen, anytime, and especially during this off season, man. You know, we I, these Sundays are. I'm off every Sunday, so anytime you want to chop it, I can talk. We can talk basketball. I mean, you know, two hours went by just like that. I know my my girls gonna have her hands on her hips, but two like two hours, Doug. I mean, it just it, it felt like ten minutes, man. So anytime, you know, uh, I I love I love doing this. I love what you're doing. I love being a, a part of this. Like I said, it's my favorite. My favorite place to talk basketball, man. Shout out to Grub, um, Hard in the Pain, and um, everything that you got going on going forward, man. Tell them one more time how they can follow you and keep up with you, bro. 
Impatient Bull on Twitter, man. It's an off season now, man. So the spaces are here and there. I'm gonna be doing some stuff with Boo Crew Media, of course, and you know, being a podcast whore, jumping around space to space, seeing who I can talk to, who I can't, you know, whatever. I'm gonna try to think of some other creative, creative things that I could, you know, that I could put together on the side that just uh just in in a unique manner in which I want to do, whether it's music, whether it's whether it's art past or present, random observations. It's conversations that I, I, you know, I love that. I love learning from people, um, you know, that, you know, that have been around long than me or that have seen more. And I love turning that into conversations and, you know, it's a domino effect. So, uh, you know, but yeah, impatient bull on Twitter and uh, yeah, man, that's it. All right, my brother, till the next time y'all know how to get at me at DM Grub on Instagram and Twitter as well. And hard to paint wherever you download your podcast. Until the next time, I'm David Grubb for Chris Connor, and this has been Party Bank.